Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Talk about the IU and the matchup with Kansas right now. Voice, longtime voice of the Hoosiers and Chris Schenkel Award winner. Don Fisher on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Congratulations on that award. Appreciate it, Don. Obviously, it was a great honor to be uh, getting an award with the name Chris Schenkel on it, who was a terrific, terrific broadcaster, telecaster, I guess is the, probably the proper terminology for he who was on television forever and was one of the greats in our business. And obviously, uh, quite honored to, to have my name on the same award that uh, he named. So it's very cool. Did you know him? I did not know Chris. I never got a chance to meet him. He was a guy that uh, everybody that I ever talked to said was one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And you got to meet him at some point. And I never got a chance to do that. I know he's from Vipus, Indiana. He went to Purdue. Yeah. That, we did not hold that against him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, he, he's just a terrific, terrific man. And uh, like I said, uh, one of the most respected broadcasters in our business ever. Did you have a favorite broadcaster growing up or when you got into to more of your formative years? I, I, when, when Harry Carey was in St. Louis and Dan Kelly was the voice of the St. Louis Blues, they were two of the favorite people I ever listened to. I loved Harry's enthusiasm and his excitement. And Dan Kelly used his voice as good as any broadcaster I've ever heard on the air. He just had a tremendous ability to use the inflection properly. And uh, I wish I could emulate it. I can't, so I'm just a has-been in that regard. But <laughs> honestly, he, he, those two guys were terrific. Jack Quinlan. Uh, who died in a plane crash uh, early on in his career, was the voice of the Chicago Cubs. I love listening to him. And then Bob Prince was the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates for, on KDKA, the 50,000 blowtorch out at Pittsburgh. And I love listening to that guy tell stories. He was the Vince Scully of his era, uh, was a terrific broadcaster, and I was a big Pittsburgh Pirate fan. I think I've told you that story about Clemente and all that kind of stuff. So at any rate, yeah, those are the guys I listen to the most. Well, it's you and Marty Brenneman for me. I mean, you and that's because I, I am and you know this, I've explained this a number of times. I'm I'm a deeply rooted radio man, always have been and always will be. And um, you know, just, you know, laying in bed or, you know, sitting during a snowstorm and having you, you know, call an IU game, having you tell us what's going on in 88 with that Russian team. I mean, I, I, I remember exactly where I was, Don, in 88 with that rushing. I mean, I'm, we're getting off an Eastern bus coming back from Shoals after a basketball game. And you're explaining what's going on there. I mean, those, the moment in 87, um, you know, going all the way back to, to 76. And then with Marty Brenneman with all those Reds games in the summertime where, speaking of a blowtorch, WLW, you get any storm within, you know, the Midwest, if there's a lightning strike, it would, you could hear it over that AM signal because it was so big. <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's home for me. Always has been and always will be with your voice and, and Marty's. Well, I appreciate that because Marty Brenneman's one of my all-time favorites too. There was nobody that, there's nobody in our business that's ever been able to 
say what he said and keep his job. <laughs> he, he, he never couched any words if he thought the Reds weren't going to be very good or they were playing not as uh, well as he thought they should be playing, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love that about Marty Brenneman. He never and, – and the thing about it was he was loved by everybody in Cincinnati, and his objectivity was obviously a big reason why. So Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, where are you right now? I'm literally in Allen Fieldhouse sitting at the very top of this old venerable building watching our team go through a walkthrough because they came out early. There's a women's uh, basketball game here tonight for the Kansas girls, and uh, Indiana was not going to have a shoot-around unless they came out early today, so we literally left around 1230 this afternoon. Wow. So um, how many times have you done games from Allen Fieldhouse, Don? This will be my third we won the first one back in 1974, and we lost the next one in overtime in 19, I think it was 1993. Um, so this will be the third time I've been in this building. It is one of the loudest places you'll ever be in college basketball. It's very much like Purdue in that regard. They seat over 16,000 in this place. This building is one of the oldest in college basketball that has been renovated but never been changed for the most part. And it's just a wonderful facility. Was that middle of the three games? Was that uh, the Adonis Jordan game, or was am I thinking of something? Am I thinking of the tournament game? You, was that John? You'd remember that better than I ever could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking it was disappointing, whatever it was. <laughs> so it stands out. I, there is Don. This is just me. There is no team in college basketball I loathe more than the Kansas Jayhawks, and there's no real legitimate reason why. I just can't stand them. I never have, and I never will. I, I'll tell Kevin Pritchard that. I would tell Scott Pollard that. <laughs> Scott Pollard would probably knock my block off. Kevin Pritchard would probably laugh. But there's no team I loathe more than the Jayhawks of Kansas. Well, I mean, in some respects, I think it's justified. <laughs> You know that they're the winningest team in all of Division One college basketball. Bill Self has been here for 20 years now, yeah. and I'm going to give you one guess as to how many times they've lost in Allen Fieldhouse, where we'll play tomorrow, how many times they've lost since he's been the head coach. Uh, is that twice? <laughs> now, be a little more realistic than that, but not much. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I thought it was something. That's, that's how dominant I thought they were there. What, what is the well, number? They have lost here only 16 times in 20 oh. years since he's been the head coach. That's unbelievable. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said in six years. Uh, you no, said no. 16. Yeah, that was a little bit more. That's my bad. So two, no. may, two, two have maybe been right in like the last six years, but not certainly in these 16 there. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I mean, his, his record here is just phenomenal. And his record overall at Kansas is phenomenal. He's won 82% of his games in, in, uh, since becoming the head coach of this, of this program. Um, granted, we don't know. He's always been able to get recruits. We don't know how, but he's been able to get them. So, and, and obviously, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on his recruiting other than the fact that I, we, we know that they got in trouble here a couple of years ago. And, of course, he got a slap on the wrist, which I don't understand that. But yeah, well, I mean, he, and, uh, he, he comes from the Sean Miller division of skating. 
<laughs> on situations. <laughs> that guy. You are correct, sir. That is incredible. I mean, it, it, it is incredible. Nothing comes of any of that stuff. Don Fisher, staked out at Allen Fieldhouse. That's the site of the noon start tomorrow, 11 a.m. downstairs on 93 WIBC is your pregame coverage with John Herrick and Don Fisher and Eric Soar. All right, latest on Jalen Hood, Shafino. You talk about a boost if that kid could play tomorrow. What are we thinking? Well, he's, he's actually practicing with the team right now. Um, I'm looking down there right now to see if he's got a white or crimson jersey on. I can't really tell. Where is he at? Um, but he has practiced the last couple of days. I would think that's a good sign. Uh, for Indiana that he'll play tomorrow. Whether he starts or not, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think it's – I don't want to say it's a given that he's going to play. I would say this, that it'll be Coach's decision, and my gut is if he can play at all, he will play. I really think that they have missed him in the last four ball games. I don't think there's much doubt about that. I don't think uh, at this juncture that he has had – I think he's, his absence has had a big effect on Xavier Johnson. Because I think X has tried to do maybe a hair too much at times again, uh, kind of reverting back to last year in some of his play. Uh, not that he hasn't played well at times, but he just hasn't been the same player with Jalen not in there. And I think, I don't know whether it's a calming effect or just the fact that X doesn't put as much pressure on himself, but I really like what I see uh, in regard to X when Jalen Hood Chapino is in the lineup. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I want to double back to Vegas on Saturday. And the thing that stood out to me the most, and I'm sure you'll have a variety of other negatives with that in mind, but it seemed like Arizona pretty much most of the game got whatever Arizona wanted. And that was discouraging. Maybe more so to me than anything else watching that game. Well, I think in the first 10 minutes of the game, there is no question about that. They did pretty much anything they wanted to do, and that, of course, is when they built that 19-point lead. Uh, to Indiana's credit, John, I thought they came back. They bounced back. They had a lot of turnovers in that first 10 minutes as well. They only had two the rest of the ball game, or two in the second half, I should say. Um, and so they stopped turning the ball over, but they couldn't make shots in this contest. They were, they were outgunned in that regard. I didn't think they did a very good job of, I mean, and, and they did make threes. I mean, Race Thompson knocks in four of those things, but that is an anomaly in itself. You would think I, I'd like to see it become a, no, a normal consistency factor, but I'm not sure we're going to see that. But the good news is they did bounce back. They were resilient. They got themselves back in the game. They got a couple of horrific calls late in the contest with that lack of a goaltending yeah. call. And then, then the technical foul on the Malik Swap, which I thought you were supposed to get a warning on that. Maybe that's a different uh, referee's scenario this year than we've seen in the past. But even then, I thought Malik got pushed and just reacted. Uh, and honestly, I don't think it was a flop. And if it was a flop, it was, didn't deserve to be a technical foul. So at any rate, those two plays uh, obviously allowed can Kansas to come right back out and do something and, you know, end up, Indiana ends up losing the ball game by a significant number. But all that said, John, I, I, the thing that impressed me most about Indiana is that they didn't give up. They went back out there and they tried to, to get back in the ball game and they were able to do it for at least up until the last two minutes of the game. Hey, Don, when I saw that Arizona and Kansas were back-to-back on this schedule, 
I thought at that moment, one of the two, and two of two would be great, but one of the two to gauge where you are and what you could be. So that, to me, puts a significant premium on tomorrow. I mean, there's no must-win situation by any stretch, but you would really like to see this team compete and compete for a straight 40 tomorrow afternoon in what is going to be, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, one of the more hostile environments in college basketball. Yeah, it's no question. And that's what you, you're absolutely right. You want to see this team compete. I, I, you know, that, that's my thing in all games like this is I want to see this team fight and I want to see them see, give themselves a chance to win the contest. If they do those two things, then everything else takes care of itself. But if they don't, if they get bludgeoned like they did from a toughness standpoint by Rutgers and then come back and have such a slow start against a team like Arizona, They'll never be in this ball game, and they can't afford to do that. Now, I know this week's practice sessions have been a little more difficult than, than what they normally have been under Mike Woodson, and I'm not saying he's an easy coach by any stretch. I'm simply saying this past week, the first two or three practices they had, they were tough practices, and uh, they really went after rebounding and all those kinds of things that they did poorly in that game against Arizona. I, I will give this to Mike Woodson, though, because after the game against Arizona – you guys are going back and forth and having that conversation post-game show. You know, he mentioned a lot of things that he liked in that game, even in a loss. And then you go to the coach's show after he watched the tape, and then he got a little bit more serious in breaking <laughs> down what he saw. It's, it was interesting after the moment in Vegas compared to when you guys were talking about it during the show on Monday. You're right. I mean, he, after he looked at the film, he was not pleased at all. And he actually said – as soon as the first thing he said, I think, in the postgame show that day was that I didn't think we played very well. But, but he said, I did give our kids credit for bouncing back and all those kinds of things. But then on the talk show on Monday night, he was pretty animated. I wouldn't say animated to the word, uh, but he was vociferous about the fact that he thought we played poorly, didn't do a very good job in the boards. Uh, I don't want to say that he's, he didn't say we were intimidated, and I don't think they were intimidated. But I did ask him, I said, did this team go into this game a little too casual, do you think? And he said, no, that wasn't it. But, but you know what? I'm not sure he was uh, telling me exactly how I felt. But who knows? I mean, when you think about this Indiana basketball team right now, I still think that they're learning a lot at this point. Uh, even the veterans are learning still how to play with the younger guys and all that kind of stuff. So at any rate, at this point, I think, I think this team is still very much in that learning mode, and that's always a key, a key factor in your basketball team, especially at this time of the year. And I think that's why teams get better as the year goes on. Don Fisher with us. It's Kansas and IU tomorrow. Allen Fieldhouse, noon the tip, 11 a.m. Downstairs, 93 WIBC with the pregame show. Uh, Jalen Wilson has been a monster for them, numbers-wise. Over 22 a game, nearly 10 rebounds per game. Somebody you would like to be able to contain at the very least tomorrow, I'm assuming, Don? Uh, there's no doubt about that. And the other guy they're going to have to try to keep a hold of is Grady, Grady Dick. This kid can flat shoot the lights out. He's just a freshman, but he is a special player from what I hear. And I've talked to a couple of people that have watched him play, and they say they haven't seen – well, Greg Gurley, their, their color analyst, said, I haven't seen a guy able to shoot like this in a long, long time. And he's seen a lot of good players here in Kansas. Yeah, that's um, as they always do. I mean, they bring some offense, there's no doubt, and that environment will add a, a great deal. Um, defensively, 
Are we going to see kind of a similar game plan from them as we've seen to, to control Trace Jackson Davis? to see a lot of what we've seen so far? I don't know why we wouldn't see people double and triple teaming. That's when they've been able to, to uh, kind of take advantage of situations. And we'll have to see. But I would assume that they're going to double, at least double trace as much as they possibly can tomorrow. The thing about them is that they don't have the, they don't have the giant big guy with the exception of a freshman that is down their list of uh, subs in the ball game until, you know, I mean, he's, he's the only really big guy they have on their team. Everybody else is six seven six eight. Uh, for three or four of those players, and then I think Dick is six six, and then their point guard six one. But that point guard is really good too, Dewan Harris. Race Thompson, as you mentioned, shot the three ball against Arizona. Is there um, anything you can count on regarding that at all, or is that just a game? <laughs> let's let's pray. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mentioned that Don because it is so necessary, and. Yeah, I mean, it's fingers crossing. I wouldn't expect it, but it's just so necessary for this team to get past some of what we have consistently seen for a while. I agree. I agree. We, we do need to see this team consistently shoot the ball well. And think about it. The last two games, they've had 10 and 11 three-point field goals in each of those two games. So that's a plus. It doesn't matter who's making it. All right, is the kegger buying dinner tonight, or what are we doing in Lawrence, Kansas for dinner? What's happening? Well, you know what? The last time kegger picked up a bill might have been at the IHOP. I can't remember, but there's, it's never been. It could have been a McDonald's. Who knows? Is there, is there an Applebee's in Lawrence, Kansas? Will you guys be going there tonight? We, I don't think we know if there's an Applebee's here, but <laughs> as town as small as this is, there probably isn't. Oh, uh, there, there you are gotta, right there. I got to go, man. I got to go. We're ready to go. Oh, are they waiting on you right now? Well, you got to get They're going. They're waiting on me, but I'm not going to make them wait on me either. All right, no. Get going, Don. Appreciate you. Thanks, John. See you, buddy. It's uh, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. He's got to get on that bus. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. Joining us now, the voice of the Pacers, Chris Daneri. And Chris... You got five double-figure scores, two averaging 20-plus in Mitchell and Garland. This is a hell of an offensive team and a really good gauge of this young Pacers squad coming at them tonight. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, this is a good young team. They're 18 and 11, seven over 500. They're third in the East, and, you know, they've really rebuilt through the draft. They have three top five picks. You mentioned Darius Garland. Uh, they've got uh, Okoro. And then they have Evan Mobley. And then you add in Donovan Mitchell, who they got in the trade with Utah. Uh, Karis LeVert in the trade with the Pacers. They still have Kevin Love. They still have Jetty Osman. Uh, so it's a team that, uh, you know, has been built, um, you know, in a, in a young way, similar to what we've seen in Memphis and similar really to what the Pacers are doing. Um, and so this will be a real challenge tonight for Indiana. They've got the best home record in the East. They're 12-2. and two. Um, so, yeah, this will be a good measuring stick. Uh, this is the first, I think, of six straight at home for Cleveland. Their next road game will be in Indianapolis on December 29th. So 
Uh, this should be a good one tonight here at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Are they coming off a western swing? Is that why they have so many back-to-back-to-back-to-back at home? Well, uh, they just had two games uh, in San Antonio and Dallas, and, you know, uh, it, it shows you what the NBA is about. They lose to the young San Antonio Spurs by a point, and then they blow out Dallas on Wednesday. In fact, tonight's the first night of a home-home back-to-back for them. They've got Luka Doncic and the Mavericks uh, here in Cleveland tomorrow night. So we were, you know, a lot of the broadcasters, we've we've talked about the schedules, and and I think you and I have talked about it. What they've tried to do is put you out. If if you do go out on the road or you're at home, you've got some home stands or a road trip. This is a rarity for the Pacers. Um, They've had a five-game road trip, a two-game road trip, a seven-game road trip, and now – this is just a singleton out there. The next road trip's a three-game road trip if you uh, count the Boston, Miami, and then New Orleans the day after Christmas. So um, you, you've seen a lot of long road trips and a lot of long home stands for teams. And I, I think, you know, they're, they're working with the schedule to figure out how best to, to present it. How will uh, – and we know, obviously, Miles is going to have his hands full tonight. Because 33 is going to have to deal with uh, a combination of Mobley and Allen, both of those players, and Evan Mobley in year number two, and you know, Jared Allen out of Texas as well as, as Miles out of Texas. Both are over 14 points per game. And uh, in, in the case of Mobley, both good inside and outside. Yeah, I think what you'll see, I'm guessing, is that the Pacers will go back to their bigger starting lineup. Uh, Jalen Smith has been coming off the bench the last couple of games, and that's cost Isaiah Jackson minutes. But if you look at the matchups they had with Golden State and Miami, uh, those were teams that that play smaller lineups. I mean, Jimmy Butler's playing the four, and it's hard to have Jalen Smith chasing him around. And then when you look at Golden State with their lineup, again, Rick Carlisle opted opted to go with Nemhard and Neesmith uh, in the starting lineup with Heald, Halliburton, and Turner. So, I would think that you would go back to the double bigs tonight. I, I would think you would see Jalen Smith start. Uh, that will help Miles Turner because he won't have to deal with two of them. He'll only have to deal with one of them. Uh, but, but that's something that uh, I'm sure we'll be watching all night long. What have you noticed about this team? And the bounce back the other night versus Golden State compared to you know, what you saw in, in a truly disappointing game against Brooklyn over the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked at the beginning of the year that there were going to be ups and downs because you have young teams. And, and clearly the, you know, the Saturday was disappointing when Brooklyn rests their top seven players. And you've got guys like Cam Thomas and Dayron Sharp, you know, who, who want to prove something. I mean, Patty Mills wanted to prove something. And then you, on Monday, play a Miami team that uh, likes to play the games in the 80s and the 90s. And I thought late in the game, I thought the, the two guys that have the most playoff experience on their roster in Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler really took over. And Rick Carlisle said the next day at practice, he asked the players, he goes, how many of you have played in the playoffs? And very few guys have, right? Miles Turner has, but Halliburton hasn't played in the playoffs. Heald hasn't played. Um, you know, Jalen Smith, when he was in Phoenix, really didn't play. And he said, that's a playoff game, uh, what you experienced on Monday. And I thought the experience that Miami had really pay dividends for them. So all of these games that you're playing during the regular season, you know, they, they come off as different. Um, I, I thought it was a good bounce back on, on Wednesday night. Um, I mean, they withstood a barrage by Steph Curry in the first half. I mean, he had 27 of Golden State's 54, and you still had a 20-point lead, and then you had to withstand them coming back. So I think this group continues to learn each and every night. It's hard to believe, John, that tonight – 
is the 30th game of the year. It's the, yeah. I mean, I mean, it has flown by. And on Sunday, uh, the Pacers will complete a stretch of 19 games in 33 days, and they'll finally get two days off between games on Monday and Tuesday uh, before they head to Boston next Wednesday. So, um, you know, it's it's a real learning experience for this group, but I think for the most part they've handled it really well. So, Kristen Airy, voice of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I brought this up. I think the day before yesterday, or maybe a little bit yesterday, but because he has really grown in such a short period of time, Benedict Matherin, I compared his play to a guy we saw on Monday night in Jimmy Butler. Uh, with the exception of, of Matherin, it's going to be much more of a threat from three-point range than Butler ever was and ever will be. But just the strength, the tenacity, um, the scoring ability, the, the fearlessness driving to the rim, those are all qualities I see in Jimmy Butler that I also see in Matherin. If you were going to compare a player present or past to Matherin, who would it be? Yeah, I like your Butler comparison. I, I do think I see a little bit of Dwayne Wade in him. Um, a guy we'll see tonight in Donovan Mitchell, uh, though Matherin is much bigger than Mitchell. Mitchell's not as, as tall. But, but loves to get to the basket and has the ability, as we all know, to shoot the three. So I think some combination of, of that type of, of player. And honestly, John, to do what he's done, I mean, he scored 20 or more points 12 times this year out of the first 29. And, and I'm not sure. I think we all knew he would be a really good player to start the year, but I don't think any of us thought he'd have 12 20-point games in his first 29. So... Uh, you know, he has he, he has a high ceiling. There is no question about that. Uh, he's still continuing to, to improve his all-around game, trying to get better defensively. But the one thing that Quinn and I have talked about over the last week is we being, you know, him become a playmaker a little bit, make some passes that we hadn't seen earlier in the year. So um, I think the sky's the limit for him. I think the Pacers hit a home run this year with those uh, first two draft picks. Uh, Nemhart's been in the starting lineup. Matherin is the key player off the bench. Uh, that makes you feel really good about the future moving forward when when you look at all of this young talent on this team. Here's the other thing that, because um, you mentioned this is going to be game number 30. Uh, it seems like, and I know that th this is so much different than when we were growing up and being taught or coached up in basketball. Uh, for the past 10 or so years, uh, it has been cool now to jump up in the air with nowhere to go to make that pass. Whereas back when we were playing, we would be running stair laps if we did something like that. But it does appear to me that, that advanced scouting in the NBA has caught up a little bit to, to Tyrese Halliburton because now when he jumps up, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not. I'm assuming you have. When he jumps up in the air with nowhere to go, the guys defensively stay home, unlike they have in those prior games and he's turning it over a little bit more because of that. Is that something you've noticed, too? Yeah, he had six turnovers the other night, and, and I would say four or five of them were in that position. You're right. And so I think there are times, especially recently, as you said, the scouting report has changed, and he's probably taken the ball a little bit too deep, and he's gotten into no man's land. And um, some of those instances he's gotten in the air, in traffic and and that can be problematic too and then at the last second you're trying to make a pass that doesn't exist this is not definitely here in the last two or three games but uh, that's going to happen at times uh, he's a guy that i still think has to score 
um, in a big way for this team to be good, and, and we saw him bounce back. He had a 35-point game against Brooklyn. He had a one-point game against Miami, and then he had another 20-point game on Wednesday against Golden State. So I, I just think there will be things that he's going to continue to learn. The coaching staff will continue to show him a lot of videotape. But you're right. I mean, Nemhard gets up in the – lots of players get up in the air uh, to make these passes. Sometimes they're very tricky. Um, and in, in some ways, John – Six turnovers is too many. I can live with three or four because I like the chances that he's going to take because for the most part, he's going to he's going to make a play out of nothing more often than not. Well, in, in closing here, I just want to see how he evolves because as we mentioned, the advanced scout of the NBA has caught up to him right now. So now I want to see how he evolves to that advanced scout and then makes them go back to the drawing board to figure it out. That's, that's kind of with a young group like this, it's something that you watch for, how they evolve, knowing that now you're 30 games later on tonight in and how the rest of the NBA and the scouting folks are viewing you. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's something you saw with Matherin. I mean, he was announced as the Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month for October and November uh, and averaged nearly 20 points per game, and then all of a sudden those numbers dipped. But Rick Carlisle has said, look, when you become a main fixture on the scouting report, teams, players, coaches pay you a lot more attention. So to your point about Halliburton, yeah, they've got lots of videotape. And in this day and age, I mean, they can cut that up quickly. I mean, you know, they've got it. You can, you can pull, you know, the visiting team can say, hey, we want to see Tyrese Halliburton's last six turnovers and see how that happens. So that's, that those are the advantages with all of the technology now. Uh, that coaches and players have at their disposal, both good and for the bad. Chris Denary, the voice of the Pacers, got you coming up tonight, 7P, the pregame coverage with he and Quinn and J.J. and Eddie Gill. Pacers in Cleveland, tip tonight from Cleveland at 7.30. Chris Denary with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Chris, have a great broadcast. I will talk with you next week. All right, sounds good, John. Thank you. Kristen Airy on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To the Boilermakers where it has been an interesting week to say the least. Our good friend Rob Blackman, the voice of the number one ranked Purdue basketball squad. They get Davidson tomorrow night as a part of the inaugural Indy Classic. And Rob joins us now. Hell of a week in West Lafayette for you, Rob. Not too bad. Ranked number one in the nation in basketball. And then we find out uh, basically the next day that uh, Purdue has a new head football coach. So yeah, it's been kind of a fun week in West Lafayette. I think that's fair, JMV. What do you know about Davidson? Uh, obviously, Foster Lawyer is a guy, when he was at Michigan State, you knew the name. Out of Fort Wayne, you understood the name. Now he is scoring in bunches. How much is he like his younger brother, the freshman Fletcher Lawyer at Purdue? Are there a lot of similarities there between the brothers? Uh, probably from what I've seen, certainly I haven't seen Foster play live yet. I will tomorrow, but yeah, I tell you one thing they both have in common is they just understand the game of basketball. I mean, you can tell that, you know, their dad, John is a longtime NBA assistant right now. He's a scout for the Clippers and, 
even had a short stint as an interim head coach in the NBA. So you can tell they grew up in a in a basketball family just because they're basketball savvy. It's, it's such a high level compared to most of the folks they're playing against on the floor. So, um, but it'll be difficult. I mean, look, Foster is you know, averaging just under 20 points a game and five assists a game, and he's, I think he shoots 90 percent from the free throw line. So you can't foul the guy. Last year he. I think he made 46 free throws in a row uh, at one point last season. So you're kind of you're really put in a position defensively where you just have to play good fundamental defense and try to make him score over the top of you. And and when he shoots, just pray that it doesn't go in because more often than not, it is going to go in. So uh, it'll be a difficult matchup. But um, look, uh, he's uh, he's he's without question their best player. But they have you know you asked me about Davidson. They have some other guys. Uh, Meninga was a second-team all-conference player last year for him. He's averaging 17 points a game. So, you know, they have some other other guys that are certainly capable. Davidson's problem, from what I've seen, John, is they're just not very deep. They play basically seven guys, and that's it. Um, so not a lot of depth on that, on that ball club. And then, quite frankly, you know, they won 27 games last year, but uh, three of their best players, three of their top four, all uh, are no longer at Davidson. Jones transferred to Stanford and – and, and Brodjkovic, uh, he, uh, he he's a guy that uh, rolled on him. He had one more year of eligibility left, but he wanted to try pro basketball, so he's gone. And, and the same thing with uh, Lee. Uh, he left early to try the NBA waters. So they're a lot different looking team than they were last year. And plus they have a, a new head coach, and Bob McKillop's son, Matt, is now the, the full-time head coach. So a little different Davidson team than we've seen in the past, but Hey man, these dudes know how to win. I mean, they go to the NCAA tournament uh, heck of a lot more than they don't. So uh, it'll be a challenge. So Rob Blackman joins us. I'm assuming from McKillop to McKillop, father to son, they run basically everything the same, both offensively yeah, and defensively. Man, it sure looks like it. And I mean, so Matt McKillop, right, the current head coach, you know, he was on his dad's staff since 2008, yeah. so he's been there forever, and he played for his dad, so. Yeah, I mean, just talking to our coaches, it looks very similar, and, and which is exactly what you would expect, right? He's the son of the coach, and again, even if he wasn't the son of the coach, he's been an assistant, like I said, since 2008, so they're going to do things, and why wouldn't you? I mean, obviously, uh, Bob McKillop proved that you can win at that level by doing things his way, so there's no, there's no reason for them to shy away from what they've been doing because they've been very successful at it. So Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. 6.15 tomorrow is the tip from Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the second of two as a part of the inaugural Indy Classic. I talked to Matt earlier this week, and there was some disappointment, right, that there's no more Crossroads Classic. Does this in any way make up for that loss in your mind, in everybody's mind up there? Oh, not really. I mean, I, I think I'm with Coach Painter on this. I love that event. I, I'm still disappointed we don't have it anymore um, just because it was such a great day of basketball for for and especially for folks in central Indiana from a yeah. Purdue standpoint anyway who don't have a chance to see Purdue play. I mean, uh, pardon me for bragging here, but it's tough to get a ticket at Mackey Arena right now. I mean, Purdue's, I think, at 44 or 45 straight sellouts, whatever it is. I mean, it's really hard for folks to get a ticket unless you want to go to the secondary market and play and pay inflated prices. So this has always been an opportunity, at least in the last handful of years, to, to see Purdue play locally for folks in central Indiana. So that's what I hate the most about this thing going away. I mean, obviously, we're doing our best here with what is a 
you know, kind of a revamped lineup, you know, Ball State playing earlier in the day. But, yeah, if it was up to me, and I know Coach Painter agrees with me on this, well, we'd still we'd still have the Crossroads Classic because I, I – and, and this is coming from a guy now in Purdue who wasn't very good in that Crossroads Classic. I think we had the all-time worst record of all the teams, maybe second worst. So it's not like we had a lot of success in that thing, but – even with the lack of success, I still love that that was a part of our of our December, and, and now we don't get to do that anymore. Uh, Rob, Mason Gillis has missed some time with an injury. I, I guess he was back at practice. Was it yesterday, the day before? Is he going to play tomorrow? Yeah, two days ago. I don't know if he'll play, but he is certainly back to practicing, okay. which is good to see because he had not. You know, he missed three games and that that two week stretch there where he hasn't played any games, he hasn't practiced either. So that was what was really concerning. Um, but yes, he is back to practicing, and um, I don't know. I, I is there a chance we could see him tomorrow? Sure, but I think the most important thing is just the fact that he's actually back and practicing and and, and participating in practice. And I mean, if we're being realistic here, you can probably one would think beat Davidson without him. You can probably beat New Orleans and Florida A and M, who are next on your schedule without him. But then you're going to jump right back into Big Ten play January the 2nd. So that's when you're really going to want Mason Gillis back. Hey, Rob, I told Matt this a couple of days ago. I think you're going to look back at that Nebraska game as a signature win, not because Nebraska is very good, but because you were poised to lose. When you allow yeah. in that second to final possession, like 19 offensive boards, like 20 tries, yeah. Yeah. I mean, normally, normally a team loses a game like that. And to be able to punch that into overtime, get the win into overtime, even if it is a disappointing Nebraska team at the end of the year, you're going to look back on that trip and go, wow, that's valuable. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that last possession there in regulation because it, uh, man, it felt like that ball stayed on that end of the floor, their offensive end of the floor for like five minutes. I mean, Purdue could not – could not get a defensive rebound. Yet, to their credit, they did keep fighting defensively and they kept making making Nebraska take tough shots. Now, you certainly would have liked to get a defensive rebound there, but at least they kept competing on that end of the floor. And that's kind of been the story of this team through the first 10 games. Um, it certainly hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been without uh, mistakes, but they have played hard, they've competed hard, and that's made up for a lot of the ill wills that have happened to this ball club along the way. So, but yeah, I'm with you. This uh, and I, quite frankly, I'm I'm a believer. Nebraska is going to going to surprise some folks. They they are, they're not only are they more talented this year than they've been in the last couple of years, but you can actually physically tell that they're trying. I mean, they're playing hard on the defensive end. They're actually they're actually competing on the defensive end and rebounding and, and trying to run some stuff on offense that actually looks like offense as opposed to just giving the ball to one guy and letting him shoot all the time. So, I. I I'm not saying Nebraska is an NCAA tournament team. I don't know if they are that, but I do think when it's all said and done, that yeah, this this is actually be a, a pretty good uh, pretty good notch for Purdue and its resume when it comes down to the teams that you beat over the season. My favorite thing is maybe Fred Hoiberg taking a play out of the playbook of his old school Pacer days, and I think his name's Greisel. Says Greisel, Matt yeah, Greisel, Greisel is that his name? Yeah, Greisel, yeah, yeah, where, Greisel, yeah. Where he uh, where he does the Mark Jackson back down. <laughs> into the low post yeah. and then turns and scores. I thought, man, that's like old, old school Pacers Mark Jackson right there. Yeah, and that was a big concern going into that game because obviously we had Brayton Smith guarding him at six feet tall, 
and Greasel six foot seven, probably closer to six yep. eight. Yep. Um, so that was a major concern going into that game, and it's not like Purdue wasn't expecting that. They were expecting that, but it's one thing to expect it; it's another thing to try to guard it. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, you wonder too defensively how that backcourt, the um, backcourt, is going to come along. I, I think they're going to get it sooner rather than later. But I was I was when I was talking to Matt earlier this week, I'd mentioned can. Can that group be too fearless? And he's not really worried about that. But you know, from a calling standpoint, do you think that either either Braden or, or Fletcher in this case, can they be too fearless at times? Or are you just going to let them learn through the mistakes they make as the season goes along? Yeah, I would say, John, that's a good problem to have. Uh, because Purdue's had, and look, a lot of people in college basketball have this problem with freshmen who are maybe a little too timid or especially yeah. early in their careers. And look, if we're being all, if we're all being honest with one another, for those that watch that Purdue Nebraska game, the last five minutes of regulation, really there was no one on, no one on Purdue's team that wanted to take a shot except for Fletcher lawyer. There yeah. were a lot of guys passing up open shots except for Fletcher lawyer. And thank God for Fletch because he was the only guy that wanted to shoot and he was making them. So that always helps. But, yeah, I think in that particular instance, you're glad that he was fearless because there was a lot of fear, it appeared in a lot of other guys' eyes out there. Um, so now I think if you're Matt Painter, hey, you can live with that. You'd, you'd certainly rather have it that way than the other way. That's sure. Let me tell you this, too. Some good fortune happened on that anticipation of the foul call. No. That was some good fortune. Though There are so many moments that are like non, non-shooting or defensive-related, Rob, in a game where you look back and you go, wow, that was a huge moment. The anticipated foul call late in that yeah. game would have been just that. Yeah, that, that was not a foul. Go back and look at it on film. That was not a foul at all. That was a bad call that Purdue caught a major break on because if that, if that play is officiated correctly, it's three-on-one going the other way, and yep. Nebraska's about to take the lead late in the game. Um, however, I will say this, that a life on the road in the Big Ten, you rarely get, you rarely get a call like that to go your way. So when you do get it, uh, you, t- you try to take advantage of it, and then you quickly get on the bus and get the hell out of town before they tell you you have to give it back. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. I'll also tell you this, Fletcher, Fletcher got fouled on that dunk. I mean, that was an and-one yeah. situation that wasn't called. I mean, you can look at a thousand different things, but that was certainly one in a, a big moment. Hey, I, I do want to shift gears, Rob, with you, with the football program. Um, Ryan Walters, that hire, Graham Harrell coming in as the offensive coordinator. What are we seeing being assembled with the coaching staff in West Lafayette for the football team? I see a bunch of young guys who are really eager to prove that they belong, and I like that a lot. I mean, I am a... I've done a couple of interviews here this week, and I and the one thing that I'm the most excited about is that Purdue pulled the trigger on a young guy, a young up-and-comer. You know, he's only, speaking of Ryan Walters, he's only 36 years old. Um, so often, especially at the at the Power 5 level, you see these athletic directors or administrators that are, that are, that are gun-shy to pull the trigger on a guy that's, that's, you know, in his 30s or in his young 40s. They feel like you have to be you know, in your 40s or 50s or 60s and have proved yourself as a head coach. Uh, look, uh, Ryan Walters has proven himself as a coordinator. He's proven that he's ready for this opportunity. So why not give him the chance? And and for the, I know there are fans a little concerned about the fact he's only 36, but I would point this out. If I remember correctly, when Matt Painter was hired, he was only 34, and that seemed to work out just fine. 
<laughs> so, um, and I know there's some current concerns, you know, well, he's comes from the defensive side of the football. And, and you mentioned Graham Harrell being hired as the offensive coordinator. That's going to be obviously, again, another young guy, up and comer, wants to prove himself. Um, so I, I'm anxious to see him coach on offense. But, hey, man, Joe Tiller was a defensive coordinator when he was at Purdue the first time. A lot of fans quickly forget Joe Tiller was not the offensive genius when he started his career at Purdue as an assistant. He was coaching defense. Um, so it's not that defensive coaches can't figure it out on the offensive side. Obviously, Joe Tiller did. But, again, my biggest thing, John, what makes me the most excited is young coach uh, who looks like he's going to hire a pretty young staff, should relate well to guys that, you know, that are college age, but more importantly, they've proven themselves as coordinators. And just because they're young doesn't mean they can't be really good at their job. And so let's let's get these guys now while they're on the rise, and not, let's not let's not hire them after they're over the hill, right? Let's let's do it while they're on the on the up and coming. So I'm a I'm a huge fan of the hired, if for no other reason, like I said, young guy who's eager to prove himself, and so you know he's going to do everything in his power to prove a lot of folks wrong that that even as a young guy he can, he can make it happen in the Big Ten. I can tell you this: when the Colts drafted Michael Pittman Jr. We had Graham Harrell on, who I believe was the, the OC with uh, Clay Helton while at USC. He's a fantastic conversation. Uh, a fantastic conversation. For nothing else, conversationally, there's, there's where you go right there. I mean, he is yeah. genuine yeah. and unique, and it'll, it'll be a, a good 10 minutes spent for you. <laughs> well, that's good for me because I like yes. talking to those guys. I like talking football with those guys, but... Yeah, I'm. Uh, hey, man, I'm. Look, it's always easy to say you're excited when you hire a new coach. I get that, but I am. I am genuinely excited about again the youth of the staff. I think it's going to be a pretty youthful staff. It looks like, and and let's go. I mean, it, it's a new era of Big Ten football here is about to begin in two years when USC and UCLA come on board. So I'm just really excited about the direction this this thing seems to be headed. Well done. All right, Cambridge Fieldhouse tomorrow night, six fifteen is that tip. Rob Blackman's going to have the call for you, and that's going to be the matchup between Purdue and Davidson. The Indy Classic coming up tomorrow. Rob's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It's an absolute pleasure, buddy. Give the family my best and have a great call coming up tomorrow night. Okay, John. Thanks, man. Merry Christmas to you and your family, and uh, we'll talk again soon. You got it, buddy. Rob Blackman, right back at you on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 